Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. Well, I'm glad you didn't. Well, good morning, everybody, again. Good morning. <laughs> um, we had a great week last week in California. As you know, we were there, and uh, I know that you were blessed. I got a chance to listen to Jeff's message, and if you missed it, you need to go online and listen. Great, great message that uh, continues us forward in our study on Philippians. I uh, want to share a couple of things, though, before I get into what we're going to cover today. First of all... Um, in our uh, experience going to California, one of the things we celebrated together was the opportunity to be with uh, Stephanie's kidney donor. And not only did we get with them, uh, with her, but we got with lots of friends and family. In fact, Stephanie said she thought I had more fun than she did because there were a lot, lot of people there that we hadn't seen in a long time. But um, I would like you to join us as a family in just in just a moment, giving the Lord recognition. Friday, November 15th, this last week, represented 20 years. And as I've shared with you before, the last appointment Stephanie had, the doctor said her kidney, her transplanted kidney, is basically her kidney, which is a miracle. It, it shouldn't be that way. And when uh, the post showed up on Facebook on Friday, her, her nephrologist, Dr. Bunchman, he described it pretty well. Three-letter three word, wow. And, uh, you know, when you have a doctor saying wow, that's a good thing. So can we just, uh, with, with a uh, applause, just as a thank you to the Lord for his amazing ability to do things that uh, we're really blessed by, obviously. So would you join me? Um, the other thing that I wanted to share that represents a real testimony to the Lord Several weeks ago, um, most of you heard the story of our, she's 19 now, right? She's 18. Oh, yeah. Our 18-year-old granddaughter who moved to California to go to culinary school, and she's working at a really nice restaurant in uh, St. Helena near Napa Valley. And we uh, had the opportunity to get with her, and we shared with you how one night she was coming home from work and a girl had gotten confused and stepped out on the roadway near one of the vineyards in front of her car. And she hit the woman, and the lady was run over by the person behind Maddie and was killed. And Maddie pressed through all of that. Her car is repaired, and we got a chance to go with her to her restaurant. And, you know, in the midst of adversity, it's such a blessing to see the Lord's favor because the Lord's favor was on her every step of the way to go there. And then this was a major hurdle to get over. And uh, so she's had her car repaired. She goes to work five days a week. She drives past. In fact, we drove past the, past the area where the accident occurred and she pointed it out. And we went to the restaurant and she'd let her chef know or a couple of the chefs know that we were going to be there for lunch. So they said, well, we'll make sure and uh, 
treat you well. So I think we figured out there's like nine appetizers on the menu. And they kept coming with appetizers. We got to try like six out of the nine appetizers. So then, uh, then we uh, split the main dish because we were too full at that point. Because they had to try every appetizer. I mean, you know, you can't just be rude and not try them. So we tried all these appetizers, had the main dish, and then they asked if we wanted dessert. And we said, well, no. But then they said they had buffalo milk vanilla ice cream. And I said, oh, I'd like a scoop of that. So they brought six scoops of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and they brought a chocolate pie and a chocolate chip cookie type thing for our grandson Kane to have. Uh, and then they brought beignets. Is that, am I saying that right? You know, the things they make in New Orleans? I'm, I'm telling you that I'm positive these beignets with the caramel sauce that they had with it and the little powdered sugar on top, uh, these beignets that came from this restaurant actually were from heaven. I think it was manna. <laughs> I'm positive. I bit into it. I'm positive that I'm going to taste that same taste in heaven one day. They're unbelievable. And uh, the, the coolest thing of all was when we, um, we were leaving and we were thanking the chefs for blessing us like they did. <coughs> I said to one of them, uh, thanks, thanks for watching out for Maddie. <coughs> and he goes like this. She's in our heart. And you know, when uh, God protects your family, like he's protected Stephanie and protected Maddie. Um, you know that he's real. And so I share that testimony this morning so that for any of us that are in any place where you're just struggling with things in your family or challenges, um, God hasn't given up on us. God has not forgotten us. And sometimes it feels like that and it seems that way. But he is still interceding for us every day. And as the scripture says, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so um, just trust him that everything will turn out in the process of all of the things that happen in our life. Um, I'd like us to put on the screen Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at the... We're going to read through verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to get through all those verses today. And uh, I'd like you to stand with me and read it. I'd like us to read it together. The two names in verse 2 are Yodia and Syntyche. So you know how to say it. So, ready? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to, be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, I just ask that you'd help me this morning to uh, just unpack the things that you've put on my heart for your family, this church family. I ask in your name. Amen. As you're seated, I want to uh, to share a few thoughts and then begin to dig into this passage. I don't think it's a secret that we are in a battle. We are in a daily battle, sometimes hour to hour, for peace and for joy. We're in a battle for peace and joy in our relationship to God, in our relationships to one another, and in our relationships to the world around us. And when we are thinking about this battle, we realize that what we're battling for is mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Because there are so many different things that can get us out of whack. And if you think about mental health in the context of getting anxious about something, or losing your peace, or losing your joy, depression that comes, whatever categories you can find in the big DSM-5 manual, all of those things, they're all related to a battle that we're fighting. A battle to stay integrated in our way we think, the way we live, the way we emote, the spiritual lives we live, and stay integrated individually and stay integrated with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and find a way to relate to people that sometimes are not very relatable. And so we are in this battle. And I was kind of reminded of this last night. I don't have this happen very often. But I, I woke up while well, I, was, I was sleeping and I had a dream. It was like, uh, I don't know, I looked at the clock. I think it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I realized that maybe what I've got, I don't know, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I really think I'm onto something here this morning at least for me, and I hope for you too. I woke up, I, I, mean, I was sleeping, and, and I had this dream, uh, and in the dream, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about Stephanie's dog, Maggie. Stephanie, do, Th- Stephanie thinks I don't like Maggie, but secretly I do, just don't let her know. But anyways, uh, in the dream, Maggie, who's our 80-pound, Stephanie's 80-pound dog, dark black, I thought she was at the side of the bed. And I was trying to figure out, sometimes she does that, but not at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, Maggie, what are you doing? And then she started doing this thing that she does when she wants your attention. She started going, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, stop. And then she started putting her snout up on the bed, and I'm like, what are you doing? And then the next thing I know is she's climbing up on the bed, and this is in my dream, and I'm, I start pushing her off the bed, like, you need to go back to Stephanie's room and bother her, and, and I'm just pushing, and... And then she climbed on the bed and on top of me and over my face. 
And at that point, I'm panicking because I'm, I, I can't breathe if this 80-pound dog's on my face. And I start pushing on her, trying to push her away. And, uh, and I can't get her off. And then I wake up. And I look around and realize there's no, there's no dog there. And I realize I was in the middle of a dream. And I really felt like, as I thought about it this morning, that it represented spiritual attack. And I think that there's this fight that we're in that is a winnable fight, but we all recognize that there's a spiritual dynamic to it. And any time the enemy can find a, a hook or a trigger in situations in our life to bring distraction away from the presence of God and the peace of God and the very joy of His presence and peace, uh, He will do whatever He needs to do, whether it's a dream in the middle of the night, whether it's a conflict in a relationship, whether it's a circumstance that's distressing, uh, a medical report you get or whatever it might be. And this fight is winnable, but it's only winnable when we stay yoked to Him and we stay closely connected or yoked to one another with love, love for Him, love for each other, with wisdom, wisdom that comes from Him, and wisdom that we share with one another as an encouragement, and also, finally, with the power of God that gets manifested as we embrace the wisdom that He, come, that he brings to us. And I, I would call this wisdom right thinking. It's the wisdom that's described in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But it's, ultimately, it's right thinking. It's His thoughts and not my thoughts. It's His ways and not, not my ways. Somebody has said that our thinking should not limit, limit us. It should launch us into a culture that produces peace and joy. Let me read that again. Our thinking should not limit us it should launch us into a culture that produces peace and joy. And, and it's faith that launches us to that place. So the question I want you to think about this morning is, is the way that we're thinking individually, is the way that we're thinking as a, a church family, as a, pe- a group of people connected together, is the way that we're thinking in our own personal families as we try to live out the life of Christ as best we can, is it launching a culture that produces peace and joy? Or is it launching a culture that's opposite of that? Is it launching a culture that produces distress and sadness and depressing thoughts? Because if that's what it's producing, then we're not living out of right thinking which is what Paul's talking about in this passage. Someone has said that faith, and I want to share some thoughts from this this person that I was listening to this week, faith does not deny problems exist. We all agree problems exist. How many of you have some problems in your life? At least three or four of you. Okay? And, uh, but faith denies problems influence. We all have problems, but we know that if we put faith in the equation, we can change the equal sign. We can change the influence or the impact of the problems that we're facing. In another, in another letter, Paul in 
1 Thessalonians says these words at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5. Let joy be your continual feast. I just like that phrase. I mean, after eating at this restaurant, if that's what he's talking about, I understand that. I get it. You know, uh, what do you call those things again? Beignets? Let joy be continual beignets with caramel sauce. That's really what it is. It's just, okay, I get that. I understand. I, I can... Mm. I mean, they started laughing at me at the table. I took a bite, and they all started laughing at me. I don't know what happened to my face, but some rapturous joy just emoted from my face as I ate those things. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan, perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. I mentioned earlier that there's three aspects of health that we all need. Mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health or heart health. Mental health actually gets produced if we learn to praise God in the midst of all of our circumstances. Isaiah 60, where the passage that we read a few weeks ago, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Isaiah 60, verse 18 says... uh, You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So when we give praise to God, we are creating gates in the walls in our life and giving Him access into our life. And when we give Him access, what that does is it produces mental health. As we give praise in the midst of our circumstances, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Emotional health comes when we give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, is thanking God for things that have happened and thanking Him for the reality that things will come that we may need to have faith for because they don't exist right now, but we know out of His faithfulness that we can thank Him, even in the midst of what we're facing, that things will change because of His ability and because of His faithfulness. Mental health comes, uh, praise is what produces mental health, Thanksgiving produces emotional health, and praying without ceasing is what produces heart health. Now, praying without ceasing is something that becomes an antidote. How many of you would say this morning that your life is just too, too busy? Anybody here would say your life is way too busy? The challenge with busyness, and we all know we have a lot to do, but but the trigger that the enemy wants to grab a hold of with busyness is busyness is not what makes us significant. He's the one that makes us significant. It's not our performance that makes us significant. It's our identity in Him that makes us significant. And the reality is that busyness is artificial significance. Someone said that Jesus did nothing in reaction to the devil. He only responded to the influence of the Father. So let me just give you this little tidbit of information this morning. In the midst of your schedule this week, and I think if we got out our schedules and compared schedules, it would just cause anxiety for all of us right now. 
But in the midst of your schedule this week, what I want to encourage you to think about is are you going to react to your schedule or are you going to respond to the influence of the Father in your schedule? In fact, here's what I'm saying. I've got the calendar of my phone like many of us do. So I'm going to take my calendar and I'm going to look at the first thing I have on my schedule tomorrow, tomorrow, an appointment that I have. And I can think quickly about the appointment and go, oh boy, you know, I can see the enemy at work. It's a counseling appointment I have and I can see the enemy at work in this person's life. It's nobody here, by the way. And, or I can respond to it differently. I can say, Father, what do you want me to speak to this person in this appointment? What kind of influence do you want me to bring that's going to make a difference in their life? Rather than reacting to what the enemy is doing in the crisis in their life, they will benefit and I will have wisdom if I'm responding to what the Father is saying to speak to them in that situation. Hopefully that makes sense. In this passage in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, this passage is all about us being connected with the Father and the way we respond to that connection. And it's also about being very careful that we protect that connection. We protect that connection so that nothing is allowed to interfere. That we protect the connection in such a way that we don't leave His presence until it's time to leave His presence. We make sure that we have received everything from Him that we're supposed to receive before we decide. In other words, we don't decide that it's time to leave. We check with Him and say, have I received everything I'm supposed to receive? And in the midst of sitting in His presence, we receive favor. And favor opens up doors. And sometimes it opens up more than one door of opportunity. Then it becomes an opportunity for us to learn how to listen to Him as He pours out direction and opens up doors of opportunity. And then we say, okay, there's three or four different doors open for me to go through. Not all the doors are the right door. The only door to go through that's the right door for me to walk through is the door that He has opened up. And so I have to learn to stay in His presence so that I know what His voice sounds like and I know where He is saying that I need to go. And so, with all of that in mind, I want to look at this Philippians 4 passage and just kind of the beginning part. And I actually think we're going to have to break up these nine verses in two weeks. But if we can put up Philippians 4 from a translation called the Passion Translation. I'd like to do that, Steph. And I want to go through this a little bit at a time. And we'll just leave that up there so you can follow this. Paul says, My dear and precious friends, whom I deeply love, you have truly become my glorious joy and crown of reward. Now arise in the fullness of your union with our Lord. 
I want you to notice with me in that first verse, Paul's deep affection that he expresses once again. It's been, in, it's been throughout this little book of Philippians. He values his relationships first to God and the relationships that God has, of people that God has brought into his life more than anything else. And a question that I have for you this morning is how much value are you placing on first his presence and secondly on your relationships to each other? Opportunities to be together. The opportunity to gather like this. Look at what he says. My dear and precious friends whom I deeply love. I'm asking myself the question this morning as I look out at your faces. How deep is my love for you? And as you're looking back at me, how deep is your love for me? And Paul's describing something that's a spiritual transaction. This is not just, you know, yeah, that's a really good person, a really nice acquaintance, someone I really like. And it's not just about the people here, but we all have those kinds of people. You can think of someone that as, you, as the Lord brings them to your mind right now, they just kind of make you smile inside. They're the kinds of persons that you just feel this deep, deep affection for. He says, they've truly become my glorious joy and crown of reward. Have you ever thought about the fact that your relationship to another person, that very person can be your crown of reward, that the Lord has rewarded you with the relationships that you have to one another. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but you are a reward to each other. The Lord has rewarded you with these relationships. The Lord has rewarded you with different relationships that you have, that you treasure, where you can say that you have a deep love and affection for someone. And they represent glorious joy and a crown of reward. And he says, Now arise in the fullness of your union with our Lord. Now, in this context, we're talking about spiritual relationships. What's our common bond right now? Jesus is our common bond. Jesus is what brought us all together. It, it, this is, we're talking about spiritual family. People that you have in your life that you would call spiritual family, whether it's the local context of a church family, whether it's those that are part of your spiritual family that, that, are, that are an extension of this church family, whether it's other churches like New Life or churches that you, uh, that you were part of in England, those, those connections, the common denominator is the relationship, the fullness of your union with the Lord. Who wants that union destroyed? The enemy wants that union destroyed. And so, we, we focus on the fact that he's at work all of the time trying to destroy and break the union that occurs. And so, it, it behooves us to pay careful attention to this union that we have in the Lord. Because we have an enemy that wants to break the union. He wants to break the yoke that exists between us.
And he will do anything in his power. He will do anything in his power to break our relationships to one another. Last week when we were in California, we put 900 miles on our car. We went to three different settings of, of people. And in those different settings, we saw probably over 50 people, friends and relatives, some we had not seen for years. And I, and I saw something that was, uh, I felt like really described this. I saw something happen. We were at, we were at uh, uh, Kathy's sister's oldest son's wedding. And one of the nieces that we had not seen, I'm thinking of Carrington, the yeah, so 10 years ago, 9 years ago. I hadn't seen her. I, anyway, this niece I hadn't seen, I probably hadn't seen her for 10 or 12 years. And she's uh, 24, we we're trying to figure out how old she is, 25, 26. And she hadn't seen most of the family for all that time either. And she and her dad had to leave. Now recognize, I'm not, I'm not really close to her but I'm united by family. And she came up and she started hugging everybody. And she said, it's so good to be with family. She hugged hugged me three times. She came up and wrapped her arms around my neck and she said, one more hug, one more hug. Now that's that's just earthly family. And what Paul's talking about here is even deeper than that. It's, 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 it's so much deeper than that because Paul's not describing people that he's related to. He's talking about people he's, well, he is talking about people he's related to, but people he's related to by the Spirit. And I think our, our relationships with each other have to become so precious. I got to see a couple of guys when we got together with Stephanie's transplant donor they're both they're both 40 something years old now that were in my middle school class when I was a headmaster and a teacher and have these young men tell me how much they appreciated our relationship you know 30 years 20 years later you can't there's no price you can put on the relationships that we have with one another And so that's why Paul, in verse 2, if we can put that up again, says, I plead with Yodia and Syntyche to settle their disagreement and be restored with one mind in the Lord. And I'd like my dear friend and burden bearer to help resolve this issue. For both women have diligently labored with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. All of their names are written in the book of life. Let me just say something kind of quickly here. Paul says, I plead. This this is the kind of deal where it's like, what should be happening is if any of you are in a conflict, my position, the elder's position should be, whatever we've got to do, we've got to get this worked out. Plead is a very, very strong word. It's like, I'm begging you. I'm on my knees. Whatever it takes, I will spend as many hours as necessary. And uh, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that somebody, one pastor one time referred to Yodia and Syntyche as 
odious and soon touchy. And all of us know someone that's odious, that calls himself a Christian. And all of us know someone that's soon touchy, that calls themselves a Christian. And all of us have been odious at one time, and we call ourselves a Christian. And all of us have been soon touchy at one time or another, and we call ourselves a Christian. The reality is, in any situation where there's relationships, with relationships there's conflicts. And when I go to things like the wedding that we went to and getting together with family, how quickly I'm reminded of how fast relationships can disintegrate over the stupidest of things. And so let's continue to work hard on a culture of peace and joy and family and relationships where we keep short accounts where conflict is not the primary thing that describes us. And in mentioning that, I'm not suggesting that that's the case. I'm just saying, let's not let it ever become the case. It's interesting that he also says, uh, I'd like my dear friend and burden bearer to help resolve this issue. Sometimes we have to recognize we get into conflict. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I have. You get into conflict with someone and you and that other person just cannot work it out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but anybody ever had that happen? And sometimes we just have to say to someone else, would you come, like in Matthew 18, I tried to talk to this person, he's an idiot, he's dumb, he's stubborn, he's stupid, and he's a Christian, and he's the dumbest Christian I've ever met. And Whatever you come up with, you can think of all those kinds of things. And I cannot find a way to reconnect. And I need your help. And let's be a people that are willing to do that kind of thing, to ask each other for help and not let things get pushed under the carpet. And the last thing I want to say is, isn't it interesting that Paul ends this by saying all their names are written in the book of life? I'm pretty sure this is going to happen because I know enough people I've been frustrated with over the years and I'm pretty convinced that there's no way they, even though they say they're a Christian, there's no way they're a Christian. How many of you would agree there's probably people that we're going to see in heaven and we're going to go, how in the world did you get here? I was positive that you were Christian in name only. But we're not the qualifier. It's only the ones that have their names written in the book of life that get there. And so if their name's in the book of life, and I don't think that they should be there, that's not my, my opinion doesn't matter at that point. And so I don't know how all that gets sorted out, except what we look for is the common bond that exists. Is it easy? Not at all. It's very difficult. But it's important for us to work on that kind of culture. And so... Let me just go on and just cover a few more things. In verse 4, be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. We've got every season of life represented in this room in terms of age. We've got lots of seasons of life in terms of being single, being widowed, being, having uh, 
no kids, having more kids than you want, having little kids, having kids on the way. We've got all sorts of seasons of life. And Paul's admonition is be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. You know what that means? doesn't matter what season of life you're in. You can have joyful celebration. Let your joy overflow. And I want you to notice this. Let your joy overflow. And look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be seen in every relationship. For our Lord is near, which speaks of presence. Don't be pulled in in different directions or worried about a thing. But be saturated in prayer throughout each day offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Let your joy overflow, for our Lord is ever near. Be saturated in prayer and bring your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Now, I thought about doing this, but I didn't want to make a mess. But if I took this cup of water, and I had a pitcher, and I started pouring it, water into the cup, and I thought, oh, I don't want it to overflow, and I pulled the cup away and stopped pouring, I would have a nice cup of water. But what Paul is talking about is he's, he's saying, I want it to be overflowing joy. And how many times do we find ourselves in a place where we can spend time in the presence of God and all of a sudden our mind wanders or we got this busy thing, our calendar gets in the way or a conflict arises and, and it takes priority. And while we're waiting to fill up the cup to overflowing, we go, whoa, oh, oh, I, oh, 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 oh. And in the meantime, all we're doing is spilling all the water out that's in the cup. And what Paul is saying is stay there until the cup begins to overflow. That's why he uses the phrase be saturated in prayer throughout every day. It's the same picture of taking like a wash rag to clean the dishes. And let's say you're in a big hurry and you want to get done quickly and you you just get a little water on the rag and you start trying to wipe off the food off the plates. How How effective is it to wash plates with a dry wet rag? And how effective is it to to have relationships that are difficult to work on with dryness in our soul? And Paul's admonition to the Philippians and to us this morning is stay in God's presence until you're saturated to overflowing. Can I just, and I'm going to end it with this here in about two minutes. Can I just say, we rush out of God's presence way too fast. We're too dang busy. We're in too much of a hurry. We got too many things on our plate that we make a priority and they shift God's presence down to five, six, seven when God's presence should be number one. And everything else should fall in line after that. I would suggest to you that if we would do that, we would have more mental health, we would have better emotional health, and we would have more spiritual health. We would have better relationships. 
we would have a better way of coping with the adversity and the doors of opportunity that open because we would have a better ability to hear his voice. But if we're in too much of a hurry to, come on, God, give me a quick, instant answer. And he's saying, no, I just want to spend time with you. Lord, I don't have time to spend with you. Look at my calendar. You, he knows your calendar. He's in charge of your calendar, isn't he? And that's what the Lord wants for all of us, is to learn how to rest in him, to stay yoked close to him, so that it ends up affecting our relationships to each other, so he can say, look, I know that person that you're with is really difficult to work with, but I love them too. And if you'll stay with me for a little bit, I'll give you the tools necessary to love them like I love them. That would be a culture of peace and joy that's worth fighting for. What I want us to do this morning as we end is I want to encourage us to really rest in the last song that we're going to sing. Stephanie, if you, could, if you don't mind just bringing up the words of the song. And before we sing it, I want us to say it. So let's say it together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. As we sing this in a moment, well, I just want to pray. Lord, I just pray right now that in the moments we have left this morning that you would help us to soak everything out of this song and out of these moments that we can so that we leave here overflowing with the joy of God and saturated with His presence. Let's stand together as we sing this song. Jesus told the disciples, come everyone that is weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Moses, in his encounter with God in Mount Sinai, God said to him, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses was so desperate for that rest, he said, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Can I encourage us to be desperate for the presence of God? Because that's where we find the rest that we need. And that's what gives meaning to the blessing that we share every week about the Lord's face. Because you can't see His face if you're not in His presence. You can't see His face from a distance. You have to see His face just like a little baby. Like some of the little babies we're going to have around here in a while. Look up at their mom or their dad 
and get that little smile that they get when they see that familiar face. And so would you put your hands out and I just pray that His face is familiar to all of us and that the Lord would bless you and keep you and turn His face toward you and give you His peace and that you would see the light of the countenance of His face, that you would see His joy over you, rejoicing over you with singing, just like a mother singing a lullaby to her baby, and that He would give you His peace. Go in the grace, peace, and presence